Welcome to the 123rd episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are an overview of Patrick's weekend predictions and a deep dive into all things NBA, including a look back at the NBA through the All-Star break and a discussion about all the events surrounding this past weekend's NBA All-Star game in Cleveland. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, and we will start and end in NCAA basketball, as that was the only thing Patrick had to predict this weekend, where Patrick, I think you consistently go 3-1 and one in your NCAA basketball predictions, um, and you were 3-1 and one this weekend, making you 3-1 and one in your overall weekend prediction, overall in your weekends, this weekend's predictions, and your overall record of 355 and 250, a 58.7% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts? Well, yeah, NBA, I mean, I, I could have picked the, uh, the winners of each event, but uh, I don't really know how that would have gone into the records necessarily, and that doesn't really make much sense. And, you know, it's the All-Star game. I think Team LeBron was an obvious pick, too, with all the injuries on Team Durant and the fact that, you know, Kevin Durant himself wasn't even playing. Um, but I didn't feel like picking only that game or then throwing, like, the celebrity game or something in there. It felt a little odd, and I actually didn't uh, quite grasp the format of the Rising Stars Challenge before it started, and it's hard to predict tournament winners, uh, you know, with, with such a small sample size of a tournament. It's just weird. So that's why I only stuck to the NBA this week. Obviously, NBA predictions will be coming back uh, and staying through actually the entire playoffs, but starting next weekend, they'll come back after the All-Star break is over. But yeah, in NCAA basketball, I did pretty well. Uh, obviously, we had the committee reveal, and I think it was funny because most of my games probably messed up everything in the committee reveal if, if certain results happened. They probably didn't really happen. Um, you can start with Illinois and Michigan State. I think Illinois definitely moves up a little bit uh, in, bra- in the bracket because of that win on the road at Michigan State. I mean, Trent Frazier was crazy in this game. Uh, Tyson Walker had, I think, 23 points in the second half, and most of them, and by the way, he doesn't even start, so the, all those 23 points were in span of about 12 and a half minutes. Uh, but Trent Frazier just had ice in his veins. He stepped up, made the game-winning shot. They were up by, Illinois was up by two, and he took a three with, I think, like 20-ish seconds left, and it just went straight in at the end of the shot clock. They, it looked like the whole possession was messed up, but it might have been that that's the shot they wanted the entire time. Uh, but he's clutch. Kofi was great in this game uh, after, honestly, not doing so well against Michigan State in the past, but he played well enough in this game to lead them to the victory. And then in my other games... Uh, Kentucky did not have Ty Ty Washington or Xavier Wheeler, which means their entire starting backcourt was out, and yet they still managed to beat Alabama. Obviously, you know, Kentucky's supposed to be a lot better than Alabama, but regardless of, uh, of how they're, how good they're supposed to be, Alabama had very high preseason expectations. They are good enough to beat teams like Gonzaga. They barely lost to Kentucky at full strength at home, uh, and they even beat, you know, a team like Baylor, so... It's clear that Alabama has talent. They're a very good team. But uh, Kentucky's crowd, if you watch that game, I've watched enough Kentucky games. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not obviously super old or anything, but I have watched college basketball for a while, and Kentucky is always relevant. That might have been the loudest I've ever heard Rupp Arena get, uh, ever. I, I don't think I've ever heard that arena as loud as it was on Saturday for really most of the game. I mean, specific some specific moments for sure, but especially at the end of Kentucky's run when they were losing by 10 or 11 at the end of the first half and took the lead. But look, enough about that. Kentucky just really played well. I mean, playing without two of their starters, you could argue 
probably two of the best three players on the team other than Oscar Shibway, who's probably going to win player of the year. Well, at least he's in the conversation. So you have a player of the year candidate, and then these two are the ones that really make every... They're the reason why Kentucky's a top five team, because they are around Oscar Shibway. They make that team elite. Um, and they weren't there, but Kentucky just had just enough to win. Um, speaking of a team who didn't have just enough to win, the only game I lost this week, I picked Kentucky and I picked Illinois on the road, Texas could not score. Nor could Texas Tech. However, when two teams play each other and they can't score, one of them still has to win. Uh, Texas Tech happened to be the lucky party on Saturday. Uh, I would say though, they, they're not not able to score. They're not unable to score because of bad offense. Th- these teams are just very good on defense. I mean, you have Texas Tech, who pretty much every year is probably the best team on defense, as long as they have any a team really anywhere in the top twenty-five. They're probably the best team in the country on defense. Most of that due to Chris Beard, but now that Chris Beard is at Texas, Texas has become one of the best defensive teams in the country, so th- these this game was going to shape up to be a defensive battle, and it definitely was. I-, I think there were multiple spans where both teams went three or four minutes without scoring at all, feel, even free throw line included, not, not just a field goal drought, just everything, no shots going down whatsoever, but Texas Tech had just enough in the end, just enough offense to win a very low-scoring game, and then... Tennessee-Arkansas could have been a little bit cleaner. I think it could have been a little more fun to watch, but uh, I don't necessarily think anybody was favored by it, but there were some really bad calls in that game. Just overall, a lot of them. A lot of them on block charges. A lot of them not on block charges. Uh, a lot of them on just random things. Some out-of-bounds calls that made no sense that even Arkansas fans were surprised to see that they had been given the ball <laughs> out-of-bounds a few times and then some really loud boos when they weren't given the ball. So it was not necessarily the cleanest game. It was probably one of the worst officiated games I've watched recently. Um, but overall, I think honestly, neither team was too, was getting, you know, the short end of the stick there. I think both teams had bad calls in their favor and going against them. So overall, I'm going to go ahead and say that it, it was pretty even overall. And, you know, Arkansas won the game and they deserved to win the game. I picked them to win the game, and they did. So I'm still happy about it anyway, even even <laughs> even with the bad calls. All right, well, that wraps up our look back at Patrick's weekend predictions. Uh, as always, his predictions for next weekend will be posted on our, on our website on Thursday, and will be a little more robust this weekend with the return of NBA action. Let's now move on to our weekly review of NBA action. But since we aren't talking about the past week, Patrick wanted to say something before we turn uh, our attention to the All-Star weekend festivities. That note is about DeMar DeRozan, who did something no one ever does. That is break a record previously held by Wilt Chamberlain. Uh, Wilt has, I'd say, 10 or 15 records, something, probably more than that, honestly, that have stood for 60-plus years, uh, depending on the record. Sometimes maybe only 55, if you're lucky. Uh, But that record, he scored 35 points on 50% shooting, Seven games in a row heading into the All-Star break. Those performances broke Wilt's record of six games in a row, which he did twice. But I just had to mention that before we started talking about it, since we're not going to talk about the last week. Obviously, he'd be my player of the week otherwise, and I would mention it there. But since we're not doing that, figured I'd talk about it now. All right, well, uh, let's then turn our attention to the highlights from All-Star weekend. Uh, Let's get your thoughts before we get to the game itself on some of the pregame activities, Um, starting with the format of the skills competition your take on that? I actually thought it was good. I mean, honestly, I think maybe in 
future years, maybe uh, the whole brothers and then three po- and then the home team and then the rookies thing. I mean, you could keep the rookie and the home court team every single time, but it might be they might have to change the brothers format, especially if Giannis isn't win the finals again. I think it was a good format, but they could even do the holiday brothers. They could do the ball brothers because Leangelo's in the G League now. They could do a lot of things. Like if the All Star game is in Charlotte, they should do the ball brothers, honestly. But uh, or even if it's in Chicago, but. You know, I, I think that that might be the one thing that they have to tweak in the future. But in terms of the actual uh, format with the new passing thing and the shooting thing, I didn't think it was that bad. I think normally the skills challenge is probably, I mean, there's a reason why it's the first event. Let, let's be honest here. Everybody watches the three-point competition and the dunk contest more, which is why this event is first. So if something's not necessary, I'm not saying it never worked in the past, but if it's not the most popular I'm okay with changing the format around a little bit, and I think I like the experiment. I don't know if it's necessarily the best format they could possibly have, but I think overall the team's idea is cool, and I definitely think, you know, seeing the rookies in it, because most of the time they don't necessarily get the biggest stars to do it anyway, so getting some rookies in it, I know they used to, it used to be just kind of random picks, and then they made it that it had to be four big men and four guards, and they did the whole big men bracket and the guards bracket and had a finals between the two. I think it was an interesting idea with that too, so... They normally change that format a lot, but I think this format was okay. I was kind of disappointed in how stupid the players were. Um, like, I'm wondering, I want to, I don't want them to change it because I want to see, well, I've got a few things I want them to change. Well, you mean in terms of, they, you, you mean in terms of like dribbling, you mean in terms of strategy or do you mean dribbling okay. around the wrong way? A couple, that was, that's the stupidity I was talking <laughs> about. Like not really knowing where they're going, dribbling the wrong way, A. Well, I would actually blame that honestly on the design of it because the only indicator they had was an arrow on the floor. floor. Okay, but do something anyway. But they they had arrows on the floor and that's the reason why because as a basketball player, you don't look down where you're dribbling. You're just looking at the obstacle. They should know where they're going. That to me, that was like the number of players that screwed that up. Then There's too many things to think about though. Tactically, like if we're talking about the passing drill, you know, where you had the, 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 the most points in the middle... And you had the other ones off to the side. There were two, four, and six. Mm-hmm. And they were doing this complicated weave of back and forth. Yeah, it was, it was... And the only rule is that you don't... So I want to keep them to keep the format. So I want to see if players get smart now after listening to the announcers. Because I don't know why anybody was throwing it at the two. There was no rule that you had to... Well, be... because you want to keep three players occupied and it's like three points. So No, you, you just can't... You just have it... You couldn't do two of the same one in a row. Yes, but so if you, you only had three... Boom, boom, rapid fire. But boom, if you boom. only had three... If you if you have three players, though, and there's three spots, it's really hard to go... It's really hard but to have getting all it once, of them on two spots. Even if it takes... Getting it once through the four is worth two twos. And the time spent running over I there? think, honestly, I think I know what you're saying, but I think probably the easiest thing to do that someone might do in the future is just kind of do what they did, if you recall, the shooting challenge where they where everybody shot the five first and then just kept going. I think it was the three and the two. The three and the two, yeah, that were That's next to each saying. other. Just do the six and the four, someone six is going to do that. I was about to say someone's going to do next year if they do this format again. They'll probably just have three of them line up and do pass, and then go to the four, right. and then pass, go to the saying. four, just pass, go to four, yeah, and then keep going around. Six, and but, you know, I liked the little the little figure skating on the court, though. That was fun. What I've, when I saw it, I'm like, it's volleyball rotation. This is easy. It was fun, though. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun to watch. It was fun to watch them run into each other. Yeah. Hey, so I want to see how they improve on that, because there's no need for anybody to be at the two. So this will be a test next year, we have to remember, to see if they went back and thought about it. The other thing is, the idiots who kept shooting and wait, thinking they were going to make the shot, and if you oh, just in the, the in the time you, event, grab yeah. the ball and fire three at the back. Yeah, I, I agree run. with I agree with Kenny Smith that when you had the timer set and you knew where you needed to go, you should probably just throw it at the backboard Shoot and just, and throw and just the leave next it alone. Two. Okay. Uh, and honestly, honestly, 
I think that's a specific player thing, but if you're, you know, no offense to him, but like if you're Jared Allen or if you're Giannis, you probably shouldn't try to make the corner three because you never shoot that exactly. shot. You never Just make jack it. jack up three and run. If you're Darius Garland, I completely understand but making it because he made... He made, pro- if, if you went back and looked at all of All-Star Weekend, he probably missed like four threes, including the game, the shooting challenge, the half-court okay. challenge. But even on the so l- other than him, everybody else should be just shooting as quick as possible. Jumper, they should have just done it quick. So, and by the way, that includes Giddy and Barnes and, Cut- and Kate, way, because after, none of them are very good after shooters. After I saw the first guys, I'm like, oh, they're done. They took way too much time, and then everybody else screwed up. All right, then one other thing. If you're going to have like the Edward Scissorhands, Blades of Death, that are, you know, that are trying to block the shot oh, yeah. of the lights, we at least have them be seven feet tall, like... That's the other thing. Put a big. They weren't blocking. It'd be interesting. It'd be interesting. I mean, well, it was just a distraction. Honestly, honestly, the biggest thing. The biggest thing I'm worried about is is like I don't want anybody to get injured. Like kind of because those things are a little bit. I don't know why they had to be giant lights. That yeah. I don't don't know why they had to be. Have the inflatable guys from the car wash have those guys going up or something. I don't know why they had to be giant blades that were longer. I thought I agree with you. They probably should have just been taller and more compact because it also made more running around when you know yeah. no NBA NBA players are not professional run around guys that's those are track athletes right. they shoot and they dribble I don't know why they had them trying to it was more of like a wipeout of thing where they're dodging something trying to hit them as opposed to something that would block them but you know they still did all miss a lot of shots so it's it's true that it helped someone and by the way I think if anything it doesn't matter how big the thing is it matters how annoying the lights are but Maybe. that could be but also, putting a giant purple LED light is probably going to make anybody miss, no matter how short it is. I, I, but, I, don't, I don't see how it was a distraction. It's like me waving a glow stick. At, at yeah, I mean, they could have... I think they could have... You're right. I think they probably could have made it taller, but I also don't think they want anybody getting their shot blocked. Well, that's what I the, wanted to see. That's well, but getting a shot be. blocked in the skills competition is kind of stupid. But. I thought it was supposed to be the equivalent of like the windmill in miniature golf, where if you time it wrong, it gets it gets bonked and knocked away. That'd be anyway. interesting. They might actually... They might, They should so, invest in see. that in the future. They should do the actual windmill. From a, they should literally take whatever city they're in next they should literally go to the local mini golf course and take the windmill and put it steal it and put it on the court yeah yeah okay yeah well anyway that would so be a good idea if we ran this that's that ends our segment called if we ran the skills competition yeah. and let's see how much they care next year well at least they generated some conversation about it i guarantee you a lot of people us. were talking no i think i think most people were talking about it whether they were like you are calling players stupid or calling the format <laughs> stupid or calling shooting stupid or calling the lights stupid, whatever it is. If I said yeah. stupid, I should have said ill-prepared. Yeah, that's probably a better choice for us. They didn't research it first. All right, let's move on to what I thought was the most exciting part of All-Star Weekend, the three-point shooting contest. Well, actually, before you do that, one last note on the other thing. You said ill-prepared. If you were listening to the broadcasters when they explained the rules, even the broadcasters, after reading the rules, they didn't even understand they it. So I-, I bet you they gave the players the same long sheet, and the players said, look... We went one and done in college for a reason. We don't want to be sitting here reading cheats. We'll figure it out when we get there. It's basketball. Yeah. so And I don't blame them because I wouldn't want to read a giant page-long memo about rules of a skills competition event either. So I'm not surprised they were a little bit confused. But, yeah, we should move on to the three-point contest. Uh, good for Cat. I mean, for a big man to win the three-point competition is crazy. Maybe not as crazy as it once was. But if you were to go back and tell Shaq that a dude pretty much his height would win the three-point contest, he'd be like, no way. Because everybody's trying to gear up to stop guys like me who are dominating the game at, at certain points. And, I mean, Shaq obviously was pretty much unstoppable no matter who you put on him. But even Dwight Howard and, and DeAndre Jordan are big centers of the modern era. And still, Cat is kind of one of the first big guys that could really, really shoot. Kevin Love. I mean, 
I said won, one of the first. Yeah, one won, of the won, first. Won a competition. Yeah, one of the first, though. But, yeah, yeah, obviously he, he won the competition in the past. But I'm saying, like, this whole idea of a center that, that actually plays in the post and shoots threes and steps out and shoots at the level that literally Luke Kennard, who only gets paid to shoot and play defense, does, or a guy like Trey Young who's trying to be Steph Curry. That is ridiculous that anybody has gotten to that level as a 6'11 guy. And by the way, he probably won't be the only one in the future. If you look at Chet Holmgren, he probably has a chance to at some point get there. Um, The one thing that I thought was interesting that people were mentioning, and I think, I want to say it was Dwayne Wade who predicted him to win. Whoever did said he's a set shooter, and since he doesn't jump much on his shot, he has a little bit of an advantage, even though he might be slightly slower moving around the court. It doesn't take that much to move around, but in between shots... He, he doesn't need to jump and reset his feet. Right. He just needs to keep shooting. So yeah. he, I mean, but look, Cat was great. Um, I'm glad that they had, you know, I think they had a pretty good a pretty good list of people in, in the three-point contest. I feel like other than obviously Steph not being there and, you know, Clay's been injured, but I mean, any, any year Clay or Steph should, can and should be in it. But I don't know if they denied it or if the NBA is like, okay, you've won too much. Let's not put you back in. I don't know the situation. Uh, but I will say... Other than those two, I really feel like they did get the eight best shooters that are at least healthy right now, and uh, I like the I like the whole format. I mean, overall, obviously, they don't change the three point contest format a lot, but I like the deep three, whatever they're calling it, the Mountain Dew spot, whatever its official name is. I like that because there's a lot of range right now in the league, so it makes sense to have a very long shot somewhere in uh, the three point contest because truly, honestly, at this point. Pretty much every player, I mean, you're seeing it with the fact that Cat won the three-point contest. Pretty much every player on the court at all times can hit a three. So you might as well start moving it back a little bit. Um, and I think it was just overall interesting. And look, again, it's crazy to think that a 6'11 guy wanted... And by the way, you said Kevin Love. Kevin Love is more of a power forward than a yeah. center, though. Carl Anthony Towns is a true center. Yeah. Always has been one. I mean, you could use him at the four, but I don't, think, I don't remember the last team that actually did. Um, and overall... He, you know, if you play in the post and you can knock down threes at the level of a three-point contest winner, that that is really, really hard to do all at the same time. So congrats to Carl Anthony Towns. He deserves it after also all the stuff that he's been through off the court recently. Um, and also kudos to the NBA for amending their uh, no-on-court jewelry thing to allow Cat to wear that chain that he was wearing representing his mom. Yeah, uh... I, I love the three-point shooting contest, always have. And they've made some tweaks over the years. They let you move the ball, the the uh, the money ball rack to your own position. So that was that's pretty cool. Those are all, uh, I think everything they've nice done with tweaks. the three-point. Yeah, all, all the tweaks. They, they know that they have a good format and they're just tweaking it a little bit. I think that's why you see a bunch of, going back to the skills competition for a little bit, I think that's why you see so many different formats with it because they haven't actually found the one that sticks. But for the three-point contest, it's three-point shooting. Everybody's going to watch it. It's fun. But when you want to put the money ball rack into it and put the money balls at the end, it's smart to have them. They realize it's probably smart to have guys choose it because some guys are better from the corner or straight up. And then obviously the Mountain Dew thing was also a good idea. And I, I think also they got the timing right. You know, some guys were some guys were done with 10 seconds, but a lot of them were down to the end. Trey Young, I think, went super, super fast through his first few racks. And then other players were down to the last few seconds rushing up shots at the end in the corner. So... I like the format. I like everything they've done with the three-point contest. It's a good contest. And this year, it was probably the best. Definitely was. One other note on the three-point contest, I think, that because uh, Carl Anthony Towns didn't just win because somebody else had a poor performance. He set, That's true. He set the record. For the, in the finals. He, he, but in he the did finals. set the re- record in the finals, though, and the rules have been 
They've had the same the amount of po- no, but they've had the same amount of possible points for the last two or three years at this point. Yeah, so it wasn't so, just a fluke where yeah. there was bad competition. He hey, look, off. Steph has been in this format. If you can beat Steph's Steph's previous final score round, yeah. in any format, record, but it was no. the final round. Yeah. Record. All right, now let's move to frankly what I thought was a big disappointment: the dunk contest. Well, you you have to specify that you thought it was a big disappointment. I mean, have you do you look on Twitter? Have you have you heard anybody talk in the last few days? I think it's probably one of the biggest disappointments in really. I mean, it's like if it, honestly, the dunk contest this year was like if they had a home run derby and all of the home run hitters hit like five home runs. Like that is literally the equivalent of it because and and, and struck out in the middle of yeah, it I was too because say, that's why I was reluctant to call it the dunk contest because there may have been more missed dunks than made dunks. Well, I think what everybody said. I'm on. I honestly don't even want to spend too much time on it. But look, I think everybody knows that at this point with that with the way it happened. First of all, Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon put on a show that could never be topped, and everybody's still trying to top it, and they just can't. Nobody can be Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon, so they should stop trying. That's my first thing that I have to say about it. The second thing that I have to say about it is the fact that, look, overall, if you're going to give them three attempts on actual dunks, why not just give three attempts, period, even if you if you chuck it into the stands like what happened on some of the wins, yeah. windmills? If you if you jump and you make any sort of attempt, I feel like that should be an attempt. I know obviously the word attempt means it's an attempt, right? But some of the times where the ball was like thrown up, they didn't call it an attempt. Some guys were just kind of jumping. I feel like you can jump without the ball. I feel like that's fine. But if you're going to have someone alley-oop it to you and you jump in the air and then just bail out midway, like... Jalen Green, I think, jumped like eight times without even attempting it and then missed it anyway. It's like, come on, just limit the attempts. You know, I, 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 th- I that's think that's my one thing. It ruins the flow. It takes the excitement out, and it, and nobody wants to see a miss. Nobody wants to see a, a like a. It's like they're bunting and pulling back the bunt. I think they should give them five non. Dunks like once you start running, you have five, five or, or some number. The old time format might work better, honestly. I, I honestly think they might go back to the timer, and it might be a good idea. But main thing is obviously that they probably need real. Well, the the real thing is they need real participants. And to be honest, the dunks in the All Star game are better than the dunk contest. But don't act like the NBA didn't reach out to those guys. They all read. They all were. <laughs> Right. They reached out to all of them. They all declined. So, so do we want to But I, I will say congratulations to Obi Toppin, although I could have said three years ago that he would win a dunk contest, and I actually did say that multiple times, obviously, before the podcast existed, but he, he looked like he would always win a dunk. He'd be a big guy to win the dunk contest, but at the same time, this was not the fashion I expected, and it was not as emphatic as I thought it would be the funny when we eventually it got looked, there. It looked like it, it, looked like it was going to start out great. With the creativity of Cole Anthony, and then he misses all the dunks. So it was downhill from there. Um, let's move off that. And uh, let's take a look at the actual game. Patrick, your thoughts on the All-Star game? Uh, All-Star game was pretty good. I feel like normally the dunk contest is always more entertaining. But this year, obviously, well, that's not the case. Uh, I don't think there's ever going to be a three-point contest that's more entertaining than the game, though. So it, it felt like the game finally got its chance to shine. And honestly... Steph had his own three-point contest with himself in the middle of that game with his, what, 16 threes that he ended the game with? Um, and, and look, overall, I mean, what a great game. I love the format. I love the charity format. I love the the quarters one format. I do have my suspicions about how every single All-Star game has been 
that one team wins the first quarter, the other team wins the second quarter, and the game ends up within like a five-point margin entering every single fourth quarter since they've had that format. But that's a different <laughs> that's a different conversation. Uh, but look, Steph was great in this game, and then obviously at the end he started missing a bunch of shots. But at some point, I think he was 16 for 22 from the from the three-point line and 16 of 23 from the field overall. And uh, he was ridiculous. And then, obviously, at the end of the game, you have DeMar DeRozan with his mid-range game and LeBron getting the switch with Zach Levine guarding him and icing it in Cleveland. Perfect ending for that. Uh, I mean, honestly, how how could you script it better that LeBron won the All-Star game with the game-winning shot in Cleveland? It's just perfect. And obviously, that fade away from any similar spot to that ended many a playoff series (laughs) in his career, not only even in Cleveland, but especially in Cleveland. And overall, I have to say, I also like what they did at halftime, bringing out all the guys on the All-75 team. And uh, I like Michael Jordan's surprise appearance after everybody saw him at the Daytona 500 earlier, and everybody thought he wasn't going to be there at all. And then all of a sudden, he was at every single event, apparently. He was he was in the locker room before. It's not like he just popped up in the middle of halftime. He was apparently at the photo shoot. He was at everything. Um, and in typical Dennis Rodman fashion, he, for some reason... Even though he was there for all of it, he just didn't want to go to the photo shoot, so he didn't show up. But uh, it was interesting there, but I I liked everything they did, especially honoring the 75th anniversary. And uh, overall, pretty good all-star game, and um, obviously the format's great. Also, one player I didn't mention, uh, Joel Embiid also played a ridiculous game for Team Durant, uh, really kept them in it at the end. But also Jared Allen played great defense on Joel Embiid uh, down the stretch, and I think Cleveland is very happy that it ended with Jared Allen playing defense and LeBron making the shot. I think all of that is pretty fitting for where, A, Cleveland's franchise is right now, and B, the legacy of Cleveland as a basketball city overall. Okay, well, instead of our usual look back at the past week of action, we're going to take a look back at the first half of the NBA season. So let's kick it off with the most surprising teams of the first half of the NBA season. Well, let's go back to a team we were just talking about a second ago. The Cleveland Cavaliers are my most surprising team. They are at 35-23, and tied for third in the East, I think it was reasonable to say at the beginning of the season that it might not have even been a hot take, but you could have said, I think Cleveland will make it to the play-in. And someone would probably tell you, yeah, I don't really agree with that. And, you know, you might have an argument about it. But honestly, to see them in third place is just astonishing. I think there's no other words to describe it. Cleveland is just having a really, 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 really good season. But I don't need to tell you much about it, obviously, that 35-23 and 23 record. Go just look at their preseason odds to win the East and guarantee they were near the bottom. Uh, and especially to do it with Colin Sexton out for most of the season so far. I think he's only played 20 games out of the 55 now, or out of the 58 that they've played. So that's just ridiculous overall. But let's move on to another team that is also in third place in their conference. But the Grizzlies are not just in third place in the West. They are third overall in the league at 41-19. and That's right, if you put them in the East, they would be leading the Eastern Conference over the Brooklyn Nets, the Philadelphia 76ers, any team, obviously. Uh, the, the Grizzlies season is just, look, they're kind of not like the Cavs in that the Cavs didn't even make the play-in last year, so for them to be tied for third is ridiculous. But the East overall has a giant mess, and honestly... The Cavs aren't even that far away from the eighth seed. Like they could take, they could have a five-game losing streak, and all of a sudden they could be in the play-in themselves. So, the Grizzlies season is really impressive because of the fact that even though they were the eighth seed last year, and you could see flashes of this young team becoming a real serious contender, I don't think anybody would have said before the season, "Hey, look, guys, the Grizzlies are going to be right under the Suns and the Warriors for best records in the league." 
and they're going to even be better than Brooklyn. They're going to be better than Milwaukee. They're going to be better than Philadelphia. That's just cross east and west. I don't think anybody would have told you. I mean, maybe a few people might say they'd be better than the Lakers, who were very low on Russell Westbrook to start the season. But honestly, overall, I don't think there are many teams that you could say they would have been above. I think people probably would have put Denver and Dallas, teams that are right in the mix with them, but still below them, ahead of them. And yet here they are in third. The Grizzlies are just having an amazing season. But let's move on from that to the Toronto Raptors, who, yeah, okay, fine, they're seventh in the East. But look look a little closer at seventh in the East. They're only five games back of first for the Eastern Conference. They're three games behind the Cavaliers. They're 32 and 25. They are barely, or two and a half games, I should say. They're two and a half games behind third. They're five games behind first. As I said, the East is one giant cluster pretty much anyway. So if you're if you have this good of a record and you were predicted preseason to maybe be I'd say the Raptors were probably, for most people, a 9th or the 10th seed or even an 11th seed. I don't think many people saw them much better than 7th or 8th. For that to be the case, that now they're in 7th, that's it's crazy to me. But uh, good for the Raptors. Let's move on to another 7th place team. The Minnesota Timberwolves. I said before the season that I was looking at Sacramento and Minnesota to maybe edge out the Clippers for the eighth playoff seed. And boy, do I look right with Minnesota, but it's not actually going to be the Clippers. It's probably going to be the other LA team that we'll talk about in a second. But look, the Timberwolves, you always see the talent on paper and you think they have Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins. How are they not better? They have Jimmy Butler back in the day. How are they not better? They have Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell. How are they not better? And yet this year, finally, you put Anthony Edwards in there and they have a legit big three now. And their big three is performing so well this entire year. Uh, D'Lo, Carl Anthony Towns, and Anthony Edwards are all so great. They're they're great in their own aspects. And everybody else on the team has done just enough. You know, your Jared Vanderbilt's of the world. Jaden McDaniels is another good example of that. Patrick Beverly is a good example of that. Overall, they built a decent bench around their core. And their core is really, really performing well this year, obviously. Cat with the all-star appearance. Anthony Edwards, probably one of the biggest all-star snubs. And then D'Angelo Russell kind of taking a little bit of a backseat, but still easily a really good third in command for any contending team. Okay, let's move on to the most disappointing teams of the first half. Well, I'm going to put the first two together, but uh, in this order, the Lakers and the Nets. Not only were they... Okay, first of all, I admit, I said right when I said it that they shouldn't have been my finals pick, but I did say that they were going to be my finals pick because I didn't really know where else to go. Yeah, that's wrong. But a lot of people did have at least one of these two teams in it. And by the way, I still think the Nets have a chance. The Lakers don't, but the Nets do have a chance of making it uh, to the finals and maybe even winning it. it. It just all depends on their health. But again, as I said before the year, as I've said throughout the year, they just don't stay healthy. You can say all you want that it might depend on their health of how they can become the team that we think they're going to be, but they're just never healthy. James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and and Kevin Durant played 16 games together over the first year and a half that they were together, and now Harden's not even on the team. So that big three that was assembled at the beginning of last season only played 16 games together. It's crazy. You still have Kyrie with the whole vaccine situation and only playing half the games. Uh, just everything in their whole situation just does not bode well for a comeback. But as soon as Kevin Durant comes back, I honestly don't see them missing the playoffs. I really think they could claw their way out of the play-in and even be a fifth or a sixth seed probably and and stay out of that the mess that is the play-in games. But overall, I don't think they're going to be championship level. 
And then when you go to the Lakers, I mean, everybody knows the Lakers are just a disaster. I mean, there's no other word to describe them. That is their season. It is just a straight-up disaster. Uh, pretty much everything didn't work in the net. The trade deadline, they do nothing. At least the Nets change stuff around. But they just did nothing at the trade deadline. And also, I have to mention, the Nets are also be rumored to be signing uh, Goran Dragic. So they're clearly trying to fix their roster. Meanwhile, the Lakers obviously lost out on that battle and didn't make a single deal at the deadline. So those two are disappointing. Speaking of teams who didn't do anything at the deadline, the Knicks. 25-34, and 34, 12th in the East, three and a half games back of the plan. By the way, I forgot to mention the Lakers are ninth in the West, Nets are eighth in the East, but the Knicks are three and a half games back of the play-in after being the four seed last year. I've talked about them enough. They're on my disappointing teams of the week every single week. I'm not going to talk about them anymore right now, but I'll see them next week on most disappointing teams. It'll happen. It's bound to happen. And let's move on. Even though we've talked about four teams, we've talked about two cities. Finally, the Los Angeles Clippers. So yes, both LA teams, both New York teams. Well, I guess Brooklyn's not technically in New York City, but you know what it is. It's the New York era team. It's New York area teams. The Clippers are only at the bottom of this list as the fourth most disappointing because they're still better than the Lakers. Uh, they, their one goal, it seems like, kind of like some college football teams seem to be in their rivalries. Texas is always just trying to be better than Oklahoma. Oklahoma State's just trying to be better than Oklahoma. The Clippers are better than the Lakers, so they can be a little bit happy about that. But the reality is they have the same amount of losses as the Lakers, and saying you're better than the Lakers this year isn't saying much. Uh, eighth, in the, eighth in the West, 30 and 31, and still, they're still behind the Timberwolves. They might be better than the Lakers, but they're behind the Timberwolves. That can't be what they expected. And also, definitely at the bottom of this list also because they're, they're just so injured. They really do have excuses for why they're there. But it's still crazy to see them there, and it's definitely still a disappointing team for the first half of the season. Okay, let's uh, turn our attention to the first half most valuable player or players in your mind. Well, I'm giving it to Joel Embiid. That is who I would vote now. If there was an MVP vote, I, I, I think they vote for first, second, and third, right? Probably something like that. If they vote for first, second, and third, I would give it Joel Embiid first, Nikola Jokic second, Giannis third. Uh, Joel leads the league in scoring 11.2 at 29.6 points. He has 11.2 rebounds per game, 1.4 blocks, and one steal. Uh, and look, he's really carrying Philadelphia. I mean, a lot of people thought that without Ben Simmons, they probably wouldn't be in the place that they ended up being in. But look, they're there, and he's the reason why they're there. When you compare him to Giannis, I'll skip over Nicola for a second. Giannis is just under Joel Embiid in scoring 29.4 points. He's second in the league, 0.2 behind Joel Embiid. They have the exact same amount of rebounds per game. Same amount of blocks, around the same, and actually same amount of steals. So the same amount of rebounds, blocks, and steals for Giannis and Joel. Yet Joel just edges them out in points. And I think overall, uh, w- when you look at it, the fact that Philadelphia is in front of the Bucks in the standings just shows that I think Joel deserves it a little more than Giannis this year. Um, and then you also look at the game that they just had against each other, and Joel really dominated that game. Uh, so in a Philly win on the road. So... I think that's really cementing for now that Joel's ahead of Giannis. And then also, Nikola Jokic. Let, let's talk about this. 26 points per game, which is ninth in the league. 13.8 rebounds, which is second. 7.9 assists, which is eighth. And also 1.3 steals and 57% shooting, which is ninth in the league. He's top 10 in points, rebounds, and assists. And he's top 10 in, in shooting percentage. So, overall... He's very, very efficient. He does everything. Not e- There's nothing that he doesn't do. Maybe I mean, you could maybe get on him for not blocking as many shots as some centers do, but other than that, come on. 
he, he's one he's one of the better steals guys in the league, and he's a big man. So, look, Nikola Jokic is going to make this really, really tough on Joel Embiid, but honestly, at this point, the NBA has this tendency to not let repeat MVPs happen, so I feel like I'm almost inclined that Joel deserves it after last year, where I think he should have won it if he wasn't injured, and, and again, it's probably going to come down to injuries again this year. I feel like whichever one out of these three manages to miss, like, two games due to rest in the rest of the season— if either of the other guys misses any time, I feel like you're looking at whoever didn't miss time to become the MVP. But overall, right now, got to go with Joel Embiid. And to follow up uh, the guys that I've mentioned, the three that I think are the biggest ones in the fight, KD without his injury would be in this conversation, but I don't think it, I don't think so anymore. It's going to take a lot of guys being as injured as he is. Um, and then DeMar DeRozan, if the Bulls are this successful, should be in the conversation. I think he will be. He, I, I feel like he is fourth or fifth in this conversation right now, and that's where he should be. Uh, and you got to put Luka and Ja in there, too, for their team success, and they're just all-around great players. Ja, definitely the human highlight reel of this uh, this era of players, and then also Luka pretty much has Nikola Jokic's numbers, but a little more scoring than a little less of the rebounding and the assists, so, and and I think team is pretty much in the same place, so uh, overall, i got to give some honorable mentions to those guys, but other than that, I think I have my top three pretty set. All right, what about your most improved player? Well, it's a toss-up between two players, and I'll tell you why. But for now, it's Anthony Simons and Tyrese Maxey. I'm leaning Maxey, but here's why. If you round both of their stats off from last year, both of them averaged 8 points, 2 rebounds, and 2 assists last year. And now they both average 17, 4, and 3. Uh, Maxey's improvement is more impressive to me because he jumped from a 30% 3-point shooter to a 39% 3-point shooter. He's also taking on the role of starting every game he's played in but one the entire year. Uh, and he's also a second-year player, whereas Simons is in his fourth year. So the improvement is more is, is bigger for me. But I will mention, the longer Dame is out and the more James Harden plays, or the sooner he plays, the more this award tilts in favor of Simons or even... Honestly, some people are even talking about John in this conversation. I don't know how how going from all-star snub to MVP candidate is necessarily most improved worthy. I mean, but then again, Julius Randle did win it last year. So, you know, I, I think there's, uh, I, I think you, I can see why he's in the conversation. But for now, I'm going to go with, I, I, I'm going to go with Tyrese Maxey with a slight edge. And uh, overall, as the season goes on, if we're looking at it, uh, from James Harden returns first game back and Dame is out for another three or four weeks. Simons will probably take it in the end, but for now, got to go with Maxi. All right, what about Rookie of the Year? Well, I can go with Evan Mobley. Uh, 14.9 points, which is third among rookies. 8.1 rebounds, that's first. And 1.6 blocks, which is first by a mile, by the way. There's not a single player who has more than one other than him, other than players who have played literally one game and had one block in said game. <laughs> um, but... Look, he has the same amount of made shots per game as Cade Cunningham does, but on 3.2 less attempts, his three-point shot is still, it's a work in progress, but Cade hasn't been too efficient in general, so I'm going to give the edge to Mobley. I feel like his impact is also greater because you look at his team, Cleveland is 35-23, and 23, Detroit is 13-45. and 45. They virtually had the same record last year, uh, and you know, it's not just, it's not just Evan Mobley, it's also... Jared Allen coming in and being part of a team for the whole year. You had Ricky Rubio at the beginning of the year. You have Kevin Love kind of stepping back into more of a into a bigger role. But he's definitely part of it. And meanwhile, look, Detroit is one in thirteen on the season without Cade Cunningham. So it's clear that he has an effect because they can barely win a game when he's not playing. But at the same time, 
Their record's not great. I, I, I just got to give it to Evan Mobley for the fact that his team is better. But after Mobley, there is a little bit of a drop-off in my mind to Cade. But I got to mention, alongside Cade, Josh Giddy and Scotty Barnes deserve to be right in that conversation with them all. And you also have to put Franz Wagner in there. And you also have to throw Chris Duarte as kind of having the underrated seasons, but still very, 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 very solid for rookies. Very key contributors to teams that, well teams that aren't so great, but uh, overall, I think Mobley has probably one of the biggest contributions. He's leading the league in two categories, the two categories the big men are asked to do, rebound, block shots, right? He's also a big scoring threat, and he's starting on a playoff team, whereas all the other rookies are stuck on, other. Than, I mean, Scotty Barnes and the Raptors, they're pretty good, but other than that, everybody's stuck on non-playoff teams, teams that aren't even close to even sniffing the play-in games. So overall, bigger team impact, Better stats. Got to go with Mobley for now, but I'm honestly, there have been stretches where Cade Cunningham has played so well that if he did that for 20 games, he'll win this award by a landslide. Uh, But, you know, Mobley's done that too a little bit, so it'll be tough to say. And by the way, if Josh Giddey ends the season like he ended the first half of the season, he'll also run away with this award because he had four triple-doubles in the first half of the season. He's the youngest player ever with a triple-double, and I'm pretty sure he had three of the four in like the last week or two before the break. So uh, he, he's trending up. Before, honestly, if I had made this two weeks ago, I wouldn't even mention his name, but now you got to throw him in as maybe even the second guy or maybe even the first guy for some people. So uh, that's my opinion on it. I'm going with Evan Mobley. Okay, that wraps up our look back at the NBA. Uh, it also wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday. February 25th, where we will have our weekly in-depth analysis of college basketball action. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games and his latest NCAA basketball tournament bracket, which was posted on Saturday, and his next bracket, which will be posted tomorrow. All that content on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.